Our scripture reading for today's message is Acts chapter 17, verse 1 through 9. And our sermon today is entitled, Jesus Above All Structures. And this is the Word of God. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king in Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his word. Good morning, everyone, once again. Say good morning. Right. Today, it's a one-man show today. I'm sorry for my singing, but I hope that the Lord is blessing you this morning. As we sing all of these songs and hymns to the Lord, as we recite these words unto him, one of the great things about coming to worship and sometimes having words to, to read and words to say is that oftentimes we don't know what to say to the Lord. We don't know what to say to God. And so when we come here Sunday reciting these words and singing these hymns, I pray that these words would start to belong to you. That we're not children anymore and simply recite things for the sake of reciting. But as we grow older in, the, in, the, in our faith and in the Lord, we see the value of reciting these words that people in the past have recited about the Savior. And we find nuggets of truth to make our own, to declare to ourselves and to declare to God that He is our Creator and our Savior and that we belong to Him and that hope belongs to us. That is why we come to worship. To once again be strengthened by the word. To once again to hear our own voice. Declaring to the spirit that lives in us. That oh yeah. I belong to God. Oh yeah. He really is and truly is my savior. Today we begin our sermon series on 1 Thessalonians. But in order for us to sort of 
dive deeply into that letter, we first need to go to Acts chapter 17, verse 1 through 9, and look a little bit deeper into Paul's travel in this area of Greece, and to see the labor of Paul and his partners, and to see sort of the backdrop upon which Paul will eventually write these letters, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. And I pray that as we go through this, you will have a sense of how powerful the gospel truly is. Now, as you know, Paul had three missionary journeys across the known world through the Mediterranean, mostly that of Europe. On his second journey, he took with him two people, Silas and Timothy. He took those two people, and the three of them traveled through parts of Turkey and Greece in order to share the gospel of Christ. They would go to the major ports and the major cities where there would be a lot of energy. City centers where there would be lots of commerce. City centers where there would be lots of talk of philosophy. City centers where there would be people talking and persuading others of what is the meaning of life. And Thessalonica was one such city as well. It was a port city that led to basically all the trade in Macedonia. It was a central city where you would go from Thessalonia all the way to Rome as well. It was a city with much commerce, and it was a city with many, many different types of people. And this is where Paul went. Paul enjoyed places like this. He enjoyed places like Corinth. He enjoyed places like Thessalonica. And the reason why he enjoyed places like that is because that's where all the people were. His call was to go and to preach the gospel where there were people. And his joy was to be amongst people to share the good news and to love. Now, let me stop here for a moment to talk about Paul and to talk about the energy and to talk about the calling that he had. For many of us here today, our deepest desire, especially as we get older, is to simply live in the woods somewhere. Or to simply live on the beach somewhere. Or to simply live somewhere where it can be quiet. And I can be left alone. And I can leave other people alone. For many of us here living in the suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia, the thought of living in like a place like New York City, the thought of living in a place like 
like Seoul, South Korea, or like Mexico City, Mexico, seems like punishment to be filled and be in a place filled with noise, filled with with uh, uh, with with uh, lights filled with so much energy that it sort of deadens the sense of who we are. But Paul was the opposite. And in fact, I would say to you, brothers and sisters, that our calling isn't to run away from people, but our calling, like Paul, and Silas and Timothy is to run to people and to run towards people. Here in Thessalonica, Paul came to the midst of the people and he had one goal in mind. I need to share the gospel that these people may know who Jesus the Christ truly is. Now, Paul's habit was very simple. In each city that he would go, he would look for the Jewish diaspora. In the Roman times, after basically the temple was destroyed, the question was, is where do Jewish people meet? And they usually would gather at the temple. So the diaspora would form communities, and they would form a place to worship, and there they would call it a synagogue, which we have that word to, for us to this very day. And so the diaspora would, would gather together and they would sit, they would read the Torah together and they would learn about God. It was Paul's habit in each city that he would go to to sit in the synagogue and to teach from the scriptures. And in this church in particular, he stayed for three weeks, three Sabbath days sitting and teaching from the scriptures. We see Jesus did the same thing when he was a young boy, reading from Isaiah and saying, on the hearing of these words, Isaiah, the prophecy is fulfilled, for I am the one who has come to bring peace. We see the apostles always, when they talk to their Jewish brethren, to go back to the Old Testament and to show them that Jesus himself was the one who fulfilled all these things. We remember in the, in the end of Luke when, when Jesus is walking with two men from, uh, on the road to Emmaus, starting to teach them about the scriptures and all that it taught. That in the end he said this is about the Messiah, the Jesus who has come. And so Paul's habit was to always be deeply rooted in Scripture in order to show and demonstrate to the Jewish brethren that Jesus was the Christ. For us here today who know the Lord himself, and perhaps for those of us who are still trying to, to find the truth of what it means to know Jesus, the answer is plain. The answer is, once again, that Jesus has to be found in the scriptures that we read. And it's in reading the scriptures 
that we find all signs pointing to Christ himself. Jesus said, I have come to fulfill all these things. That all everything you've read in the Old Testament scriptures, all the structures that you build around Judaism has been fulfilled in me. That Jesus himself is the completion of that. And so we see Paul's strategy. Number one, let me first go to those who have been promised the old covenants, who have the scriptures. They'll understand first a little bit about who God is. The second thing that he always does is that he always engages the culture that is there. For he knew that to share the gospel with people, there were, there, there's, there's two prongs of attack. One is those who were already religious, who had the promises of God, and who just needed more explanation. And then there were those who understood the wisdom or wisdoms of the world. And he also knew that within those wisdoms of the world were hints and seeds of truth that led to the real truth of the gospel itself. And here in the sort of um, Roman time, we call this the imperial Roman age, all across the Roman Empire, you saw that each government, each governor who was ruling that place, they were ruling not only because they had power or wealth, they were ruling not only because the emperor placed them there, but they ruled in such a way that they needed to convince the people that they were the rightful rulers of that time. And so they always appealed to religion. They always appealed to the Greek gods. They always appealed to the many deities that they had the divine right to rule where they ruled. And in this city, it was no different. And Paul would argue with them and say, listen, the Jesus that I am proclaiming, he is not only the, the Savior of the world, but he's also the King of the world as well. And this is what upset the people of the day. It would be one thing if Jesus simply said, I came, come here as another deity, as another God to teach good morals or to teach you about life. But once Jesus, once Paul proclaims that Jesus is not only a savior, but he's also a king, that's when everything gets riled up. Because the people of the day are saying, or the rulers of the day are saying, this guy is coming here to usurp our power. He's coming to take over. Once again, this is the same theme we saw in Christ's life, in his, in his crucifixion. A fear from the Jewish people, a fear from the Roman people, that Jesus came not only to establish a new religion, but he came here to establish a new worldly government. And so here we see at this church, we see opposition. We see some of the Jews saying, this guy is proclaiming a religion that is false. We see others saying, and like-minded, this guy is 
is preaching that Jesus is a king and will take over. But either way, we must get rid of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Paul himself and his two brothers understood and knew that what they were preaching would turn everyone's life upside down. That there is no way to live your life as is when you share the gospel For those who are Jewish, all of a sudden, they were taught that Jesus is the Messiah. No longer would they meet in synagogues, but to meet at church. No longer would they celebrate the Passover, but celebrate the Lord's Supper. No longer would they figure out how to offer sacrifice in the um, in a time with no with no temple, but they would know that Jesus was sacrificed once and for all. Their life changed completely. Those who were of the Greek persuasion, they themselves were finally taught the wisdom of this world meant nothing. That syncretism or or trying to choose and pick different aspects of wisdom to, to follow meant nothing that only following Jesus and his wisdom was everything. These words started a revolution in all of Europe and this revolution exists even to today. But something happened along the way. We tamed Jesus. We tamed Christianity. We tamed our faith. We tamed our faith to such an extent that our faith in many ways does not bring the life that it was meant to bring. And I want to encourage you because the Jesus of the scriptures, the Jesus that we proclaim, the Jesus that you will find if you search the scriptures, the Jesus that you will find if you, if you see him as a fulfillment of all things, is not a tame Jesus. But he is a savior who gives life to all. And a Jesus who upends every structure, political, religious, personal, that you can come up with. Here in the city, we have sort of a macrocosm of what happens. People are enraged. 
People are enraged. Why? Because people are actually coming to know Jesus. There are some Jews who, who hear Paul speaking and say, Jesus is the Christ. We see the Spirit working in the Greeks. Jesus is the Christ. And we see persecution starting to arise because this is not the truth that they want to enter into the lives of, of their society. And in one story, there's a story about Jason that we see here. And Jason apparently was one of the sort of the Greek-fearing Jew. Okay, so he was a Greek who became Jewish. Get this. After he became Jewish, he heard the gospel and became a believer. He loved Jesus so much that he took Paul, Silas, and Timothy into his house and hosted them during these three weeks. And he and a group of people who hosted them, who gave hospitality to them, were eventually taken and arrested because they couldn't find Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They, they had moved on. And they were arrested. And they were fine. They weren't in prison for that long of a period. But they were called out for the faith that they had. This is the birth of the church at Thessalonica. This is how churches are born. Not with a tameness, but with fire. With truth that is spoken. With lives that are challenged and lives that are changed. A group of people who are able to worship God and weather any sort of critique or any sort of persecution for the truth of the gospel. And the word of God is that powerful, brothers and sisters. I don't want you to say to yourself, that's not me, I can't do that. I'm, that's, you know, that's someone else's gift. That's not my gift. No, that's something for maybe later on. I'll, I'll figure it out. Well, I'll figure, I'll figure that out just a little bit later. The Word of God doesn't do that. The Word of God changes now, today, His people to move forward. This is the birth of the church. And I pray that here at CCPC, that we as God's people will continue to embrace what the Spirit is doing here. Continue to embrace what the Word of God is doing here. And that all of you, would we would refuse to follow our old ways, refuse to follow the wisdom of this world, Refuse to follow a tame Christianity, but to follow Jesus alone. Now you might say, this is exciting. Reading this, this is exciting. Should church always be like this? Should church always be like this hustle and bustle? And, and should church always be all, you know, people coming to know the Lord all the time and all these things? Yes and no. 
once we get into the letter of 1 Thessalonians, you will see Paul starting to teach the church and say, great, all of you. You know who Jesus is. Great, all of you. You've come to faith in Jesus. Now let's grow. Let's talk about the end times. Let's talk about the fact that, yes, someone just died in your congregation. What happens to them? Let me tell you what happens to them, that you may have hope. Yes, there's some people who have issues. Let me tell you what the gospel says about that. And so Paul, as the loving father, as the sort of loving mother of this church, knows that each and every one of us needs to continue to grow in the faith that he has given to us. Praise be to the Lord that he's called people like Paul, Silas, and Timothy. I pray that God calls people like that amongst us here to go out as missionaries. But I also pray that all of us as a church would embrace the idea and the notion that we are called to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are indeed above all structures. We ask of you, Lord Jesus, to be with us, Lord God, at CCPC, and help us to grow in a way that is pleasing in your sight. Heavenly Father, help us to read your word and to be changed by your word. Heavenly Father, help us not to succumb, Lord, to the wisdoms of this world and to the wisdom of just religion itself, but to have our hearts changed by you and you alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.